When you're acting as your doodle's teacher during training, do you know their learning style? Take our exclusive fun and free quiz to find out at thedoodlepro.com slash learning and make training more fun and successful. I've worked with a lot of doodles (laughs) and they're all been super great. The puppies too, and some of them because of the breeds they're mixed with can be a little bit more prone to puppy biting, mm-hmm. extra jumpy, a little bit more wanting to explore. So they'll jump on the counter, they're going yeah. through the garbage. So we do see that a lot in those pups. But yeah, it does get unmanageable when it's your eight week old puppy jumps on you and it's cute versus your 70 pound doodle who's jumping on you and it's not so pleasant, especially when guests come over and they're knocking them uh-huh. over. Doodle breed dogs are easy to love, but can be challenging to parent. I'm doodle expert Corinne Gearhart, also known as the Doodle Pro, and I'm here to help doodle parents have a more fulfilling and rewarding experience with their doodles. No one has professionally worked with as many different doodle breeds or has more experience with doodles than I have, and I love to share my expertise in a fun, compassionate, and non-judgmental way. From my years of work and education in the pet care and dog training industry, I have an incredible network of skilled training, grooming, and veterinary professionals to share their knowledge with you and give you the doodle-specific answers you're looking for. I hope you enjoy today's episode as I help you parent your doodle like a pro. I'm thrilled to welcome Katherine Davidson. She is a trainer and owner of Dog Inspired in Canada. And Katherine has graduated from Jean Donaldson's Academy for Dog Trainers, where I'm actually continuing my education. So it's so nice to talk to a graduate of the program that I adore. Welcome, Katherine. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I know that you work with dogs who experience all sorts of issues, but you really specialize in a couple areas with dogs. Can you share that with us? Yep. So most of the cases that I work with is any degree of fear. So separation anxiety is a big one. I do a lot of reactivity, but I really do specialize with puppies and a team. And I pick that niche or that specialty because I used to work in a shelter and I worked for different rescues a few years ago. And the dogs that we would get in mostly were young pups, maybe about a year and a half old. Mm -hmm. And this is when people really start struggling with their dogs when they haven't got some socialization done. They didn't do the puppy training and they realize how overwhelming it is to have a now large adult dog who is untrained and unmanageable. And this is when they unfortunately relinquish them to a shelter. So this is why I specialize with puppies and teen dogs is to help pet parents have the tools and the information that they need to start on the right foot yes. <laughs> so they can avoid the unfortunate heartbreak that could happen with having a dog who's unruly or unmanageable. And so this is why I really focus on puppies specifically and teen dogs. For people who have doodles, most of the time they're found from a breeder when they are 8 to 12-ish weeks old. For people who have a rehomed doodle or got them from a rescue, which is becoming more and more common as there's so many now, they're usually adolescents. And that's due exactly to what you're talking about. 
you have puppy behaviors or misbehaviors that are now in a big dog. The eight-week-old doodle jumping on you is different than the 70-pound one. Yep. And, yes. <laughs> yep. And I, I like to say that doodles are lifelong learners that don't want to drop out after puppy kindergarten. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of doodles yep. <laughs> and they're all been super great. The puppies too. And some of them, because of the breeds they're mixed with, can be a little bit more prone to puppy biting, mm-hmm. extra jumpy, a little bit more wanting to explore. So they'll jump on the counter. They're going yeah. through the garbage. So we didn't see that a lot in those pups. But yeah, it does get unmanageable when it's your eight week old puppy jumps on you and it's cute versus your 70 pound doodle who is jumping on you. And it's not so pleasant, especially when guests come over and they're knocking them Uh over. And they're laying them out on the floor. (laughs) 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 So I invited Catherine to talk to us today about puppy biting. It is one of the most frustrating parts for new doodle parents or even experienced dog owners who forgot what it was like to have an 8 to 16 week old puppy. There's great memes where it shows what you think you got and it shows a tiny little adorable puppy and then what you've got, it looks like a pterodactyl. Rafter. Yes, that's it. That's it. Yes. And people refer to them as sharkadoodles or land shark. So I often have clients saying, they got another pair of my pants. Or why are they jumping up and biting on me? So as it's one of the most frustrating, I wanted to have one of our puppy experts come and talk to us about it. One thing that I focus a lot on puppy training is definitely getting some of those impulse control behaviors down packed. And puppy biting is one of the biggest ones. When I do puppy class, I always ask my participants to raise their hand if they have a puppy who bites. And everyone starts laughing because everyone is waiting. (laughs) And I have clients who have like band-aids around all of their fingers and they have tons of marks on their arms. And so a lot of times we maybe forget or don't realize that when we adopt a puppy, we are basically adopting a baby dog. So they come with teeth and they bite, just like any other animal that we can adopt. Cats bite and we realize this. You get a hamster, a hamster bites, right? And then all of a sudden we get a puppy and they can't bite. <laughs> right. We're, we're much more tolerant about it, but with other animals. Mm. And of course, with dogs, they get so big so quickly. So we do have to get that under control, right? But I think it's important to realize that you adopted a puppy, puppy bite, and it's very normal. They're not and broken. I, yeah. No, they're not broken. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with them. And a lot of times people will ask me or just, they're worried that their puppy's being very aggressive. They're Mm -hmm. growling at me while they're biting me and it's so intense and it's scary. It scares me. And a lot of people with their own dog have a fear of dog. They fear, you know, how their dog is reacting. Yes. And again, super normal. And so there's so many reasons why dogs bite puppies in particular. So one to keep in mind is that they explore with their mouth. It's how they play. It's how they pick up stuff how they mm-hmm. eat, how they communicate, like their mouth is our hands, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we can't tell them you cannot use your hands whatsoever because then they're like, I don't know what to do myself afterwards. Yes. <laughs> so we have to equip them with skills and teach them better ways of interacting with us mm-hmm. instead of biting. So we have to teach them these skills and they just don't learn it overnight. 
So they bite a lot when they play, which is very normal as well. But then something that I do include in my puppy book that I wrote is that there's different types of biting that's not play. Yes. So if you're trying to groom your puppy and they're biting you and they're biting the brush, that's a red flag for me. If They're trying to talk to you. They're telling you something. They're telling you that they're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Think about this interaction that they don't feel very good about. Let's say if they're sleeping, you try petting them and then they ground, they bite you. That's a red flag for me as well. A resource guarding, if they try and snap at you or bite at you when they have their food or when they have a bone or a toy, this is all possibly resource guarding. And it's very common in certain breeds, particularly golden retrievers. If you have yes. a golden doodle. Yes. <laughs> and I've had many golden doodles that are resource guarders. And I'm like, yes. I wonder why. <laughs> and when you're saying Catherine red flag, I want to clarify for our listeners, that doesn't mean red flag, you have an aggressive bad dog. Yeah. To me, I'm hearing, we have to pay more attention to this, mm-hmm. trying to tell us something, right? Yep. And it's something that we need to pay particular attention on and start working on them with, which is if you're going to a good puppy class, which all of you should, this is something that I address in puppy class. We do resource guarding, preventative exercises. We do body handling exercises for grooming. We do vet care exercises as well. Like we incorporate all this stuff in our puppy class mm-hmm. to prevent any of these fear issues or resource guarding issues with your puppy. But exactly, it's not doesn't mean that your dog is aggressive or a bad dog, right. but it's just something that needs to be addressed. We need to pay attention to it and we need to help them feel better about it. I completely agree. And when you're talking about how puppies, they don't have thumbs to explore their world, both of us are parents. And I think of if you have had a human child, think back to their early toddler time where they put everything in their mouth and they, <laughs> and they bite. Trying, yes. And they weren't trying to eat it. It was how they explored the world around them. Yep, exactly. And that's it. We tolerate it so much with our non-canine yes. family, whether it's a baby, a human baby. A cat hamster, like I mentioned, we tolerate it a lot more. And then when it comes to our dog, we're just like, you cannot bite at all. And it's just, we have to nip in the bud right away, which I understand. And I do agree that we have to address it and start worrying on it. Yes. But it's a behavior that's very normal. Puppies Mm -hmm. bite. And sometimes, especially if you're not a first time dog owner, if you had dogs before, yeah. And you think about your last dog, you often have love goggles on where yes, that's perfect way to say like, it. They're they were so perfect and they were so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And now I have this demon puppy in my house that is just causing havoc. <laughs> and it's because we have those love goggles. You have to take them off and you realize, oh yeah, my other dog did do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. They did bite on the furniture. They did bite me quite a lot. I remember having to get some band-aids and we realize they're not as perfect they, as we thought they were. I do this. I have this with my own dogs. Yeah, same. <laughs> have a great Dane. And he's a handful. And I think about my last great Dane. He was just the most perfect dog. I'm like, no, he used to steal food off the counter. He used to go through the garbage. And he <laughs> ate my shoes just like this one. So <laughs> I don't have him anymore. And I have my love goggles on. And um, remembering his behaviors as an adult. After yeah. you had done so much training and he had matured. Yeah. So we're comparing apples and oranges, really. 
Yes. I hear it a lot with my clients of, I just wish they were like, and then they talk about their late dog and how frustrated they are with their puppy. Yeah. And I mean, it's normal to compare, but it's important to just remember, no, you did it too. <laughs> yes. So you're really right about, we don't want to be permissive with biting and just be like, oh, grow out of it one day. Then we have a right. teen dog who's got adult teeth, bigger jaw, is bigger and is mouthing or nipping us to get attention or whatever. We mm. do want to train it, but they're not abnormal. This is a normal phase for them to be in. I think that's a good point, too, because a lot of people, they don't feel that puppy training is very important. They don't go to puppy class. They wait till socialization is over. They don't contact a trainer because a lot of the puppy stuff, it's not bothersome. They bite a little bit. Yeah, okay, it's uncomfortable. When they jump up, it's not the end of the world. And then six months happens. (laughs) Or even five months sometimes. The focus is often on housebreaking and house training. And that's the most bothersome thing. But everything else is little tiny and fluffy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people just go through the first couple of months just letting it slide, saying they're going to grow out of it, which that's another thing. Dogs don't grow out of wanting to bite and to chew. It's a favorite pastime. They enjoy it. It's like mm-hmm. us reading a book or watching a movie. Chewing is their favorite pastime. And so if we kind of treat it like it's going to go away, not going to go away and you're going to have a rude awakening at six months old. (laughs) So what is your first step? If somebody's coming to you early, they're joining your puppy class, eight, nine weeks old, and they've got their little shark-a-doodle, their little velociraptor, what are the first steps that you tell them to do? So the first thing that we want to do with any new puppy is to teach them how to control their bite and how to control their mouth. So we want to teach them that a little bit of mouthing is okay as long as it's soft and doesn't hurt, doesn't puncture or <laughs> cause bleeding. But a little bit of mouthing is okay. And mm-hmm. how we teach this is through play. So we got to play with our puppies and we can play tug. We can wrestle with them. There's nothing wrong with doing any sort of play like that. And anytime that it's too hard, we'd either redirect them or we just take a pause and play and then continue on again. And as they're biting and their mouth is just getting a lot more precise not biting as hard and this is important to practice so they learn how hard to control their mouth yeah then we could start saying okay no more biting like it's off limits now my great thing is that he bites with my husband when they play he'll bite him on his arm he'll bite his head and my husband loves playing like this yeah and it's fine it's fine and and my great thing knows not to do with me. He does not play Thanks. like that with Neuros. There's no play stops. We don't play like that with Mama. <laughs> I'm ex- I don't like that at all. And my husband loves it. Yeah, it's especially him. He's so big. So I'm like, no, no jumping on me because he's gonna knock Same. me down. <laughs> no biting me. <laughs> but they do learn that. So it's important for the whole. If you're living with more than one person at home and you have a family, it's good for other people to practice at home. Um, the only exception is young children. So anything under than 10 years old, I would say, I would not let them play too rough with the puppy. I don't want to start any bad habits or anything like that. Right. But they can't manage. A younger kid can't really get a puppy to stop playing where we know what to do. And we're, especially if you work with a professional, they can coach you on it. Younger children have a hard time setting boundaries and rules. So I wouldn't do that with young kids. But yeah, it's important for everyone in the family to 
practice puppies' play skills. And alongside with that, too, is encouraging our puppy to go play with other dogs. So they yes. learn a lot of their bite inhibition, their ability to control their force of their mouth with other puppies. And they're the best teachers for that. And so bringing your puppy to a puppy socialization class or puppy social or doing one-on-one play dates, those mm-hmm. are like the best options to help your puppy practice those play skills. And what you're saying there is really crucial, Catherine, of with other puppies. So that doesn't mean the 11-year-old neighborhood dog who doesn't have any desire to play with your puppy, letting them, quote, correct them and pin them down and respond out of frustration. That's not fair to the puppy or that adult. They are asking for that pestering and those sharp little needle teeth. Doodles are lifelong learners and they don't want to drop out after puppy kindergarten. No matter how old your doodle is, they still have a lot of learning to do and they want an enriched and interesting life with you. Don't let your doodle be a first grade dropout. Do you want to be the first to know how? Go to thedoodlepro.com slash university to be the first to find out. Early admissions open soon. When you're also talking about play ending, that's what dogs do with each other when one goes too far. They remove themselves and they say, I don't want to play like that. And you playing with your puppy is desirable to them. Mm -hmm. When you say, oh, that was too hard, like that mouthiness, the teeth got like a little too much pressure on my hand. What does that look like when you end that play because they've gone too far? So usually I'll just like stop abruptly to play. If we're playing tug or for wrestling, like I'll just withdraw myself. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard for a puppy to just stop with me. So I might need to actually physically remove myself. You can physically remove your puppy, but I find it's always better if you remove yourself. So just like stepping over a gate and just giving them like five, 10 second cool down Mm time out just to relax and then I'll come back. (laughs) You could always try something like that. But I like also directing with a toy. And a lot of times, too, people will say, I try redirecting with a toy and they, they don't take it. The thing is, if you just take a toy and you present it in front of their face, they're going to be like, boring. What is this? What do you want me to do with this? <laughs> it's so boring compared to your flailing hands. Exactly. We're flailing our limbs around and we're shaking up them off of our legs. And it's, we're basically playing tug with our pants. And so it, it, we're so much more interesting than this dead toy that we just presented to them. So I do show this in my puppy class as well, like how to play tug and how to use a toy to redirect your puppy. So I'll start making it act like prey. So making mm-hmm. it like go around the floor and I'll move it around and I'll hide it and I'll bring it back out and I'll flail it around. And so this is when it catches the puppy's attention. They're like, oh, oh, I like this. And then I'll too. just shove it in their face and take it away and then do it again. So they're trying to fight it and try and catch it. Mm-hmm. Ways of enticing them to really want to go after that toy. Because if we just present it to them, they're like, "No, yes, your hand is great. <laughs> Lots more interesting." Right. Um, unfortunately, and yeah, just knowing how to properly redirect them with a the toy is important. I'll be mo- much more successful with it. And then alongside that, so we want to play with our puppy just to help them work on their play skills. But I also want to make sure that I'm meeting their. So I want to make sure that 
their bitiness and their wanting to chew is met. Because yes. like I said before, it won't go away. If you're just never going to give your dog chews, never going to give them toys, it's not going to go away. The need is always there and it can actually grow over time. They're going to so find something wanna... to chew that. Yeah, exactly. This is where they start chewing the chair legs and on the sofa and the pillows and on the door frames. So we want to make sure that we're meeting their needs in a way that's appropriate for them. Which chews you give your puppy, honestly, you have to just audition different types of chews. I bought so many. <laughs> and you just have to see what they like and what's interesting to them. Kongs are great because you can stuff them with all different types of food and keep them busy with that. But making sure that we do provide them an outlet for this behavior because, like I said, it's not just going to go away. And so a lot of people often think that if we're giving them all these chews and all this stuff to keep their mouth busy, are we creating a monster? A biting, chewing monster? They're insatiable. <laughs> and it's actually quite the opposite. When we fill their cup and their cup for chewing is full, most mm -hmm. of the time they're going to be happy doing something else. They'll be happy to go take a nap or to snuggle with us or to play with us in a way that's a lot less bitey. It'll meet their needs and it just, it'll help relieve that need of wanting to bite and chew everything. So it does help with puppy biting when we, we give them a lot more opportunities and outlets to exhibit this natural behavior that they have. I like the vet recommendation of if you can indent the chew with your fingernail, then mm -hmm. it's safe enough for your puppy's teeth. Beyond, oh, that's great. Yeah, there's some like antlers and stuff. But, yeah. Like we aren't trying to break any teeth. We want it to have a little give. Yeah. Yeah. Even the yak chews, the ones that are made out of like a, a cheese or yeah. milk or whatever, those are pretty hard too. And most dogs are not that into it. They're a little bit too hard to chew on. But my here fan favorites are definitely bully sticks. You can get some that have no order because they smell. <laughs> but the smellier, the more thing. If you can get past it yourself. Yep. Yep. I'll usually just you know, put them in their room or your puppy has a crate, putting them in their crate. Maybe remove their bed so it doesn't get all icky. <laughs> I like to remember that when I'm auditioning these treats, it, they might like at eight weeks old, mm -hmm. you know, the bully sticks. I'm going to present it again at nine because they're evolving just like our young children do with their taste. And you mm -hmm. might see people recommend put yogurt or peanut butter in a Kong and freeze it. Your puppy might not figure that out yet. You might need to put some really loose things right on the edge of the Kong before yeah. they're learning the food puzzle. A little bit of cream cheese at the front of it and that'll be easy enough for them to want to play with it. Because if we are shoving stuff all the way at the back and freezing it, they can't get it. They don't understand the concepts of this game. Right. So you kind of have to go slowly with them. Yes. Yeah, that's a really good point. But I've actually had a client where I was doing day training. So I'd go to their house and, and train their dog for them. And she's like, I tried every chew. I can't find something. So I actually brought the dog to the pet store. <laughs> and I had her like sniff every single chew. Like I was pointing every single one oh. out. And I swear to God, this dog did not choose anything. There was nothing that interests her. And finally, when we walked back around, she saw the stuffies. Oh, my God. It was like she was like going nuts. She really wanted the stuffy. So I just ended up buying her a stuffy. So yeah. yes, there is some dogs that are just like, they're not interested in chews, but they do like to chew, just not what we would hope that they would like to chew. So getting them stuffed, stuffed toys can be all, a really good outlet for them as well, even if they're not ingesting it or anything like that. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And when it comes to stuffies, that can be pretty expensive because some of the stuffies are, if they're like chew proof, as they say, <laughs> they're usually like $30, $40. And right. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> said like a great dane mom <laughs> yeah yeah there's nothing that's true proof with a great dane unfortunately I actually bought like those it wasn't a bark box it was a it was like one one higher than that like another company but it was just yes. like more for like power chewers i forget what it was called and they had a guarantee that if your dog destroyed it within 50 minutes they give you a new one <laughs> i think it was three bully, minutes <laughs> like bully something maybe okay. yes I tried There's one of those brands out there. Bully Bunches is the bully sticks. <laughs> there, I've tried some of those so that they would last longer with my guest dogs. Um, but then they're boring. It'll be like, sometimes it'll be like, just look like a block of rubber. Yeah, and they're like, yeah. this doesn't do anything. Yeah, that was a problem with that box too. It's just half the toys Harlan wasn't interested in. If it was just like a rubber, like not really a, like a hard rubber like ball, he's like, you want to do this. But it's something he could chew. Yes. Soccer, he ripped it apart in three minutes. So I was like, okay. So what I do, a little pro tip. Yes. <laughs> I go to the dollar store and I get the stuffies for dogs at the dollar store. And they're like $3. And if my dog destroys a $3 stuffy, I don't care. Versus yeah. that $30 stuffy. Oh, that one hurts. With the $3 stuffy, I really don't care. So I'll just buy a bunch of those. I'll rotate them so they last yes. longer. <laughs> and letting them fill that cup on their foraging and tearing behavior that is innate, mm-hmm. like, that's an innate need instead of your yeah. sofa cushion. Yeah, there's so many behaviors that like, we're like, oh, this is really unpleasant. Anything that has to do with exploring when they want to seek out food and jumping on the counter or going through the garbage. If we give them opportunities to explore for food, it's filling that cup. If we're giving them opportunities to dig, we're hiding a bunch of stuff in a snuffle mat or even in grass and they get to do that, that meets that need and they'll be less likely to do it on their couch. So it's, it's important that there's not just biting of needs that we have to meet, but others you'll, and you know, your dog best, you know, your puppy best and you'll know what activities they like to engage in. And then you just have to find appropriate outlets for it. So first you're saying when you're dealing with puppy biting to remove yourself for a quick break or mm-hmm. to replace with an enticing toy, making the toy really enticing. What other yep. steps do you recommend for puppy? I go through like a bit of a checklist when it comes okay. to biting. So we go through, okay, did I play with my puppy and they got enough one-on-one time with me? Check. Okay. Yes, I did that. Did they have enough outlets and enough chewing opportunities today? Okay, yes, check. I did that. Did they get opportunities for physical exercise? Is my puppy biting because they're super amped up because I was working all day and I just got home? So bringing your puppy out for a short walk or playing tug or playing fetch, just something that they can or even play with another puppy, a way to burn their energy. Okay, check. I did that. Another thing that we do want to check for is, okay, I did all this stuff. Did I do too much? <laughs> yes. Does my puppy need a, Does my puppy need a nap? It's <laughs> just like children. They get super rowdy and obnoxious when they're tired. And uh, I call this like the eight o'clock zoomies <laughs> or the eight o'clock like shark time, where they just are going absolutely bananas at a specific time in the evening, and just because they're so amped up from their day, overtired. Yeah, they're overtired, and it's like, all right, it's bedtime. 
when my daughter gets like that, my human daughter, I'm like, okay, guys, time to go to bed. (laughs) It's like they lose access to their brain, their thinking part. Yep. Just like our kids. Yep, exactly. And sometimes they just need some downtime. It might happen during the day. It's a lot more often at night. Making sure that we give them an opportunity to go relax. We can put a chew with them in their pen or in their crate. We can give them a massage and just try and stroke them and help them relax. Any sort of very calming activity would be really good for them. But yeah, just going through that checklist. And then finally is teaching our puppy different ways of interacting with us that don't involve biting. Teaching Mm -hmm. them skills. Touch my hand. Instead of biting my hand, touch my hand. (laughs) Showing them what you want to do instead of just to stop. We can teach our puppy to leave it or drop it. Those are all also really good for biting. I like teaching body handling. So having our puppy sit and I'll touch their ears and I'll give them a treat and I'll open their mouth and I'll give them a treat. Just teaching them that like when I'm touching you and I'm petting you and I'm grabbing your tail and your paws, not to bite me. So this uh-huh. is a really good no biting exercise. So it's meeting all those needs and making sure we go through the checklist, but then also equipping our puppy for this life with us, which means teaching them skills on how to live with a human. The no biting can also be incorporated in the stuff that we teach them. Life skills or obedience skills, as you sometimes would call it. Um, Those could be very helpful in just teaching them alternatives. So another way of interacting with my hand instead of biting me would be my touch my hand. And that's one of my favorite ones. What do you think of teaching what people call kissing or licking as an alternative behavior? You can do that too if you like it. I taught Harlow to give me kisses when he was a puppy. And I remember when my sister came over, she's like, why don't you teach him not to kiss? I'm like, he's my dog. <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> my kids and husband love licks. I don't like face licking. I'm like, I know what you just licked. Yeah, one little lick is fine, but like covering me. Luckily, doodles aren't too truly. Yes. Another thing that people will hear differing opinions on is yelping. So if a puppy were to bite down on you to imitate what another puppy would do and make like a kind of noise. Some people feel like that's speaking their language. Some feel like it's going to create even more arousal. What are your thoughts? Sit and stay right there. We'll be back right after this quick break. Dog's body language is a foreign language to us humans. Are you wondering how fluent you are? Take our free quiz at thedoodlepro.com slash body and find out how fluent you are in reading dog's body language. I've tried it both ways, doing the Yelp and not doing a Yelp. It can sometimes serve as a cue that you're going to leave. So that can be a good way. But so you don't necessarily need to yelp, but you can just be like, all right, time out or game over. And then you walk away. So you don't necessarily need to yelp. And I've had it happen where I did yelp. And then the puppy was just like, oh, that was fun. And then let's do more. more. (laughs) Like you're the squeakies. Yes. It can go either way. And anything that you learn or you read, whether it's online or with a trainer, sometimes it's just seeing what works and adjusting. So a lot of his adjustments. Even advice that I give to my clients, it's the general what usually works. And if that doesn't work, okay, we'll figure something else out and make an adjustment. Mm -hmm. 
So especially with the yelping thing, I've done it both ways and that's it. I've had the yelp where no go. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> and when you listen to Catherine, as she said, time out, she didn't go time out or no. Like she didn't use a harsh corrective tone. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for our listeners for their ears that I just yelled <laughs> into them. But <laughs> this is a normal biological behavior that mm-hmm. we're teaching them alternatives to. Yeah. Can you explain why you're not using like that harsh voice and tone? When we're saying no, or we have that Batman voice with our dog, mm-hmm. we're trying to scare them or we're trying to intimidate them. We're trying to get them to stop. And I'm not going to lie, oftentimes it does work. When we say no, when our dog's, oh, that was scary. Yeah. And because we scared them. And you might not think it's absolutely terrifying because you know, you're not like a, zombie vampire looking thing where it's, that's terrifying whereas uh-huh. you just said no to your dog but it's on the individual and what they feel is scary and what intimidate them if someone yelled at me i'm very sensitive and it would definitely make me not feel good and so for someone else if they get yelled at they're like water off a dog's back whatever right. it's fine so we have to take that with a grain of salt and see okay for the most part, we're using fear and intimidation on our puppy to get them to stop. Yes, it'll work. But if we're relying on tactics like that, mm-hmm. they can only take you so far. And they do come with a whole load of risk when we use that type of training. So, for example, like let's say if you're doing a quick internet search on how to get your puppy to stop biting and you see something like rolling their puppy on their back. Mm-hmm. So that's something I see often. You're physically restraining them, which is Mm -hmm. extremely unpleasant, and you're intimidating them. And so what this ends up happening is, yes, it could temporarily stop the biting or or it stops the biting altogether. But what you've created is a dog who is now uncomfortable with being restrained. So when they have to do vet care, when you have to do grooming, when you're just trying to pet your puppy, it's going to be uncomfortable for them. And it doesn't have to be a hundred bad experiences. It could just be one. And that's enough for your puppy to say, don't touch me. I don't Mm -hmm. like that. And it's the same thing for that alpha roll where you turn them on their back. I've seen as well, like holding their muzzle or sticking your thumb in their mouth. It's a really common one of the thumb in the mouth and putting pressure on or a flick of the nose. Flick of the nose, all that stuff. And like I said, it could be one experience. It could be a hundred and what you've just done is taught teaching puppy that when your hands come near their face, bad stuff happens. And so when you're trying to clean their eyes, when you're trying to brush their teeth, when you're trying to clean their ears or just simply pet them, they're uncomfortable with it because they've had a really bad experience with your hands next to their face. So it makes grooming and vet care and all that stuff really difficult and it can yes. make it worse over time. So when we see stuff like that and you're getting advice from a friend or a dog park goer or even sometimes pet professionals, they'll give this sort of advice. If you feel like it's potentially scaring your puppy or hurting them or intimidating them and it doesn't sit well with you, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> you can be so much more proactive with your training and teaching them and guiding them. We're not being permissive when we use positive reinforcement or any fear-free based techniques. We're not being permissive. We're proactively preventing and teaching them skills so they don't do these behaviors, whether it's biting or jumping or anything like that. We're teaching them a better way of doing it. And we don't have to 
scare or hurt them or intimidate them because it does end up creating bad experiences for them, which can make regular care or just even petting them so difficult. And I didn't get my dogs to have them fear me. I got them to have a connection and a relationship with them. And it isn't worth it to me to maybe even get the fastest result if the path is breaking their trust with me. Mm-hmm. It is. It's exactly. It's not why we got a dog. We didn't get a dog to want to scare them or hurt them. It's mm-hmm. we want to have fun with them and be with them and make it. We just we want to be pleasant and have, live happily together. And with one of my dogs, I got her way before I was a trainer and I used a choke chain on her. And still to this day, she's scared of me. Still to this day, she's scared of me. If she sees me like I'm trying to pet her, she's like, don't judge me. We all do the best we know. We, You turn on TV and odds are you're probably not going to find science-based humane training. We just do the best we know. And just like child rearing, your parents, likely they were spanked or even used a belt on and they probably knew better with you. And then you know even better with your kids. It really follows the same trends of we do better mm-hmm. with what we know. Exactly. We make mistakes. and It's unfortunate. And we try to do the best we can. And that's why podcasts like yours and the, our platforms on social media, we try to promote as much as we can good training, humane training, because there is a better way of dealing with this, especially puppy biting. I know you wanted to stop. <laughs> You yesterday. wanted to stop yesterday. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but if you see the guy down the street with his sh- shock collar training, he's like, I can get your puppy to stop within an hour. Odds are it's not good. And it's not going to be good for your puppy. It can be detrimental to them and their overall well being and your relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And with puppy biting, it's not for forever. You have to just. Take the time to teach them, give them some patience, and it does get better. It does. My dogs don't bite me, right? They're older. They don't bite me. So we're not letting this continue. And I do find if you continue to allow biting and you don't remove yourself or replace or show different alternative behaviors, it -hmm. can continue. But I do see a peak period where developmentally... I don't know if it's the teething or it's just that's how they explore and play. What are the weeks that you see the peak in biting? I definitely see it when they first come home. So they do not maybe not the first couple of days because they're a little bit shy at first. But then yeah. once they start coming out of their shell, they're like, oh, this is fun. And <laughs> the shark appears. Yes. Yeah, definitely like around. I would say like the five, six month mark around adolescence, too. Is a pretty tough time for a lot of people and their mm-hmm. pups. And if you weren't proactive, even if you were, <laughs> sometimes they could be a little bit testy. <laughs> yeah, it's like they forgot what you taught them. Yes. And it's totally normal. They're going mm-hmm. through so many changes, not just physically that they're larger, but hormonally, there's a lot of differences going on there. Brain development, their brain is literally being rewired. So all of their training that they just had with you for the last four months uh-huh. literally goes out the window because it has because they have all this new information they're trying to process and they're just their brain is just overloaded so that's why we see a lot of regressions around that that 
five, six month mark, even sometimes a little bit later, but more or less around that time. So it's adolescence could be a tough period too. So if you don't know, <laughs> but these are both finite periods. Yes. Doesn't last forever. The investment that you've been making, the rapport and the training you've been doing with your dog will pay off and mm-hmm. teaching them what you want them to do. We see a lot of families where the adults will say, our puppy isn't that interested in nipping or biting me, but my younger kids, it's a whole different story. Can you help mm-hmm. explain to our listeners why that is? So kids have a hard time setting boundaries or rules when it comes to play. So let's say if I'm playing tug with my dog and I practice this a lot, I'm able to get them to drop the toy and to sit and wait and I can flail the toy and they'll sit still and they'll, okay, we'll continue mm-hmm. playing. I say, so we have rules to, to when we play certain games and with children, they have a hard time following or being able to set those those boundaries, especially if they have a practice. Keep in mind too, like kids' brain development, it's just priorities. Yes. <laughs> they don't learn all these things. And even if they do, it's a lot of repetition. And for the most part, I like to give them ways of interacting with each other that avoid getting them both too amped up children Mm -hmm. and puppy so doing something like training tricks touch the hands play dead spin like those are fun and the kids have so much more fun you know your puppy like that because they actually taught them something and it makes them feel so proud that they taught Mm -hmm. their puppy something but yeah it's just because kids have a hard time following those boundaries and specifically with anyone with a toddler or a very young kid. Yes. That's a no bueno. We don't. <laughs> there's always a parent in between. And that's really uh-huh. important because definitely when it comes to a very young child, one, two, three, even four or five years old, they have a very hard time and puppies are very overwhelming. They jump and they bite and they bark. And so it's very overwhelming and it's important to have an adult that's in between and that's curating everything and showing them how to play together, but being in the middle of all of that. So this way, as they grow older together, they learn how to properly play together, but they don't learn those rules overnight and take a lot of patience and consistency, but kids aren't able to do that. We are. So we yes. have to be responsible adults <laughs> and teach them and give them other opportunities. So like I said, like giving them, teaching them tricks to train with if you have a younger child i have my daughter let's say i'll ask my dog to do something and then my daughter will throw them the treat and what you, know? you just said there was key you have your daughter throw the treat yes so yes not from her hands <laughs> yeah well, we got a little shark doodle and you're talking about training the children what to do mm-hmm. not just what they're not allowed to do which is the same thing we're doing with our dogs it's the same learning theories yep. where we're teaching both and it can be that there's a baby gate sometimes if you're not able to be between. Yep, when management. we brought, yeah, when we brought home my standard puppy Hershey, my youngest child was three, and kids move sporadically. Like you don't, they're unpredictable. Just like the toy that you described of making it move like prey, mm-hmm. little kids do the same. It's really unpredictable how they're going to move, and it can feel scary. So we taught that dog that she wasn't allowed to be on the sofa because the high sofa she couldn't reach it in the beginning that was a safe zone for my three-year-old if he got nervous he was able to retreat 
It's not as great as like an X pen or a baby gate. It was a zone that if she was too mouthy or too bitey, that he could feel safe and retreat to the sofa. And just planning out some of that management. Mm -hmm. Yeah, management definitely when it comes to kids and puppies and dogs. It's just if you can't supervise, then they go on either side of the gate. It's non-negotiable. It's like that in my house too. My dogs are 8, 10, and 13, and I still do it that way. If I have to go take a shower and I my daughter's watching her iPad, the dogs are in their room. with the, there's I take zero chances. If I'm in the kitchen, same thing, and I can't watch them, they go into their room with the gate closed. It's just preventative and just making sure nothing bad happens, and especially if you have a young puppy that bites quite a bit. Your back can be turned for a second. <laughs> Kids are fast, but puppies are faster. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> I enjoy using flirt poles with kiddos, particularly because it creates a distance. Um, so if you're listening, a flirt pole looks like a fishing pole where it's kind of like, like a long cat toy, but just yes, longer. Just way bigger <laughs> and stronger bungee. So if you're having a really hard time with the dog wants to play and their restraint is really still growing and building but mm-hmm. you want to be able to play with them it's a nice way to have a bit of distance while still getting them that outlet yeah yeah there's so many ways to encourage our children to interact with our dogs in a way that keeps them both safe and keeping mm-hmm. them from starting bad habits or, or hurting one another those are all really great and most of the time just having an adult in between is the best yes. thing. And I know yes. it's not always possible. We're busy and we have things to do, the house to clean and food to make. But this is where management's going to be your friend. <laughs> yes. I'm a dog trainer and I manage my dogs 100% of the time. If I can't watch them with my kid, mm-hmm. they're in their room. And that's just, it's just the way it goes. And it's just better to be safe than sorry. Yes, absolutely. Another quick question I have for you that's a pet peeve for puppy parents are the biting of their shoes and their pant legs. So we're talking about management. So I could guess what you would say, but if that's something they're struggling with with their puppy, what's your advice? So management is always my first go-to with any sort of behavior that we're not into. So we want to prevent them from continuing that. Keeping your puppy on leash is really great because you can hold them back (laughs) from biting you. Having baby gates too, like when you're about to lose your cool, it's, like timeouts it's it's a form of punishment as well which we try to avoid doing too often but sometimes we just need that moment or else we're gonna lose it it's just step on the other side of the gate give yourself a minute breathe and then come up with a game plan do i go get my puppy a chew do i go get them yeah. a toy do they need a nap or whatever just reassess what it is that i need to do for them but then i also like to teach leave it and we teach leave it initially with food so you'll see oh, we put food on the floor and drop it and stuff like that. We, we do that with leave it. But, and I do this in my classes as well. And I show people how to use it with actual everyday items. So my puppy class, I always do a paper towel. So I show them the leave it process with a paper towel. And then I tell them to go home and you practice with your socks. You practice with your shoes. And the same thing with your pants. You can practice with your pants. You can practice with the leash if they're a leash biter when you go for walks. You can mm-hmm. practice this. But you practice it in a moment where they're ready to learn. So you're not yes. in that moment of crazy. And you're not yelling, <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to work. No. <laughs> so 
you're in a space where they're ready to learn and they're they're ready to go. Everything that I do, I break it down to step-by-step training plans. Yes. You see how the academy is. That's how we do everything. Yes. <laughs> and just bite-sized pieces of learning. So you teach them one step at a time and to eventually just leave a, a piece of food that's in your hand to eventually leaving a piece of food that's on the floor and maybe a little bit longer and then introducing it with another item. And so I introduced multiple items so that my dog or my puppy can generalize it. They Mm -hmm. don't learn that when I say leave it with food means leave it with a paper towel or leave it with my pants or leave it with the leash. They don't understand because it's so different. You have to teach them. We start with the food and then we go with something different and then another one and another one. And this way they will eventually start catching on. Oh no, leave it means leave it even if it's Mm -hmm. for the slippers instead of the shoes or the leash instead of the kids' toys. Or- yes. So it's a really good one in a way to be proactive in teaching our puppy to kind of leave it alone. So I like that one as well. And that's building that impulse control that you described in the beginning. And right. as that takes time for them to generalize and you to get those repetitions in, like to not wear flowy pants. <laughs> and I don't wear shoes with ties around the house. That shoestring looks like prey as I'm walking around, just begging for them to grab on. Yep. I once wore a sweater. It was a Christmas sweater and it had like little pom-poms on it. <laughs> I wore it to a consult and I never wore it to a consult ever again after that. <laughs> and you can imagine why. We do live and learn even as a trainer. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) Catherine, you have such wonderful advice for parents of puppies and adolescents. If they wanted to follow you, where could they find you? And if they wanted to work with you, how could they do so? So you can find me on Instagram. It's doginspired.ca. That's my website as well, doginspired.ca. And I'm also on Facebook. It's doginspired training. I also have a puppy life skills book that I wrote yes. earlier this year. I you enjoyed can find it. the ebook. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. it. <laughs> you can find the ebook on my website, so doginspire.ca, or you can find it on Amazon. It's the puppy life skills. And I am doing a puppy training 101 webinar that's free that you can attend. And if you can't attend live, I always make my webinars available for recording. So you can always watch it later. So I have one for puppies and one for teen dogs as well that you can check out on my website. Wonderful. I'm going to link to those in our show notes. And Catherine, it's such a pleasure. And to meet another Academy student, that's an extra pleasure too. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Doodle Pro Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And I invite you to follow me on Instagram at the Doodle Pro for behind the scenes peeks at all of the adorable doodles I work with daily.